So this evening we will be considering the 20th section of Psalm 119. So don't have a handout for you, but I do have a PowerPoint for you to help guide you, help keep you with me. Uh, but I do ask that you turn with me to Psalm 119, verses 153 through 160 uh, in your Bibles. Uh, I'm going to be using the PowerPoint, but uh, I'd like for you to have the scripture open before you as I won't have, uh, I think, any of the scripture on the screen. So I just have my main points on there. So turn with me to Psalm 119, verses 153 through 160. And just to kind of review, but more so just give you a grasp of Psalm 119. It's been a little bit uh, since I've worked through a passage in Psalm 119. But almost in every line of Psalm 119, we find the Word of God mentioned. So uh, it is brought up uh, in almost every line of Psalm 119. And you know there's, there's many verses, as you can see from our passage. Uh, almost in every section of Psalm 119, we're clued into uh, the life experiences uh, of the psalmist, of the one who's writing this, and we find that he's suffering. So this is by no means a psalm, uh, I don't know if there's any psalms like this, but this is not just a, a psalm that's talking about the Word of God in an in, in impersonal way, but it's very personal. He's, he's talking about his own life experiences. And in every section of Psalm 119, we find different nuances. So each section is not the same by any means, but there's different nuances. There's different aspects that we find uh, concerning the Word of God, concerning the Word of God in suffering uh, in each section. And tonight's section is no different. So in Psalm 119, verses 153 through 160, we find the psalmist's desire and request is to be revived by God. So that's going to be our theme for this evening uh, of Psalm 119, 153 through 160, and it's the psalmist's desire and his request to be revived by God. And we'll see the place of the Word of God um, in this and, and how uh, his suffering comes into it as well as we work our way through this passage. But for now, I want to start by just considering the fact that the psalmist wants to be revived. All right, revived. It's a key word uh, that I'll be using over and over again. And as we move into our section and consider this word revive, consider with me uh, experiences that you may have had or maybe experiences that you've seen other people have where uh, things or, or people have been revived, they've been refreshed, they've been rejuvenated, they've been stimulated, they've been replenished. Okay, and I'll give you a few uh, to get you thinking. Okay, many of you probably have had a car battery die, okay, you left your lights on, um, and your car battery died overnight, and it needed to be jump-started, okay, it was dead, the car was not running, so you, you needed to take the jumper cables connected to a running car to spark it back to life, they revived it, okay, you probably can think of times where maybe you were playing a sport, or you're watching someone play a sport, and uh, they were either losing, or they were just sapped of energy, and, and maybe it was a coach's speech, maybe it was the, a play by one of their teammates that stimulated them, so much so uh, that they helped their team win, okay? They were revived. You may have had the awful, you may have had to go through the awful experience of seeing a person revived, okay, or resuscitated. They stopped breathing, or, or their heart stopped, and through CPR, they were revived. 
What we have in our passage this evening is not someone who's physically dead, though certainly they may have been physically hurt or they were beat down or they, we, they were weak, but we have someone who seems emotionally, mentally, and even spiritually beat down. They're hurt, they're down low, they're downtrodden, and they call for God to revive them. Okay? Our psalmist calls God to revive him. Look with me at our passage, and the reason I'm making such a big deal about it is I think the passage makes such a big deal about this as we find uh, a phrase repeated three times, and, and that should kind of get us to, to pay attention to this phrase. Look with me at Psalm 119, verse 154. It says, plead my cause and redeem me, and then it says, give me life. Hey, that's the phrase that I'm kind of uh, using the word revive for. He says, give me life according to your promise. Skip down two verses. Look with me at verse 156. He says, great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. And then one last time, Psalm 119, 159 says, consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. So three times. It's not something that we should miss or skip over, but I think uh, the psalmist repeats this as this is what he's trying to stress. This is what he is asking of God. This is his main prayer request. Give me life. He's saying, God, revive me. So tonight we'll consider the psalmist's desire and his request to be revived by God. So what I want to do is I want to work our way through this passage uh, as a whole, and I want us to first start by looking at the other verses. So we're going to kind of skip over these three verses that I just read for the moment. But I want to look at all the other verses and pretty much go through them verse by verse. Uh, and then at the end, our fourth, our fourth point uh, will really come back around to this phrase, come back to these verses that I've skipped and drive home this main prayer request once we've understand uh, or have understood the whole. So this is kind of our outline. We'll consider his resource, his outlook, his commitment, and then fourthly, we'll come to this repeated request um, that the psalmist repeats. So we'll start by considering the psalmist's resource, and this comes from Psalm 119, 153 through 155, if you look with me there. Starting at Psalm 119, 153, it says, Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. So I believe these first three verses go together. Okay? Here in these verses, the psalmist communicates his resource in suffering. Okay? What he looks to, what he goes to, what he relies upon is what I mean by his resource. And he's especially talking about the fact that he can have this resource, he can go to this thing, he can rely on it because he has a relationship with God. And we find that he contrasts himself as one who is a believer, has a relationship with God. He contrasts himself with one who doesn't have a relationship with God. And he, he speaks of the resource that is lacking for that person. So in these three verses, we find a contrast. And we're going to actually find a contrast um, or a comparison in, in the other two sections uh, to follow. But here we have a contrast between a believer and an unbeliever. So we'll begin first by considering the resource the believer uh, has in suffering. So if you look again, I want to just read the first two verses of this section. Look with me at Psalm 119, 153, and 154. It says, Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. 
Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. So the psalmist speaks of the situation that he's in. He says, look on my affliction. My affliction is, is talking about his situation. This, this word affliction speaks of uh, something or a situation that's causing misery. And further, it's talking about being oppressed. That's what this word affliction means. That he's going through a miserable time. He's being oppressed. We're going to find out a whole lot more as we work our way uh, through this section. But we see um, specifically the way that he's going through affliction is not that he's physically sick or injured. He's not struggling financially, but rather from the rest of the passage, we find that he uh, is miserable. He's being oppressed by people. All right, People are causing his suffering. We see this in verse 155. If you just look there, we get the, the phrase or way of, of talking about someone. We get this phrase, the wicked, which simply talks about those who don't care about following God. If you look at verse 158, we get another description of these people he's dealing with, and we get the, the phrase, the faithless, which talks about those who commit treachery, those who are deceitful, they lie. And I think the one that helps us the best understand this affliction, this oppression that the psalmist is dealing with is in 157. If you look with me there. 157 says, many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. Persecutors just talks about someone who's pursuing him. He's chasing him. And maybe this is physical, but it's also uh, someone who's out to get him. Uh, emotionally, mentally, they're trying to, to attack him. And then we get this, this word adversaries, which just speaks of his enemies. People who don't like him. People that don't want to get along with him. People who hate him. And notice, if you look again at verse 157, we're not just told of one persecutor, one adversary, but it says many. Literally, it's great are my persecutors and my adversaries. So it's plural. He's talking about many. Uh, there's not just one, but there's a group of them. There's a lot of people that are out to get them. And if you think about any time in your life that um, you deal with, with someone who is attacking you, they're lying about you, they're seeking to hurt your reputation, maybe they're mean to your face or they're mean, mean to you behind your back. Okay, many of you may have even dealt with many people that are out to get you. It's a group of people that are kind of trying to attack you. They're out to get you, and uh, it makes it even worse than just one person. That's what the psalmist is dealing with. That's what his situation is when he says, my affliction. That's all loaded into that word. We see next in this section that he asks God to save him. So he calls out his request is for God to save him, and he describes uh, this saving in five ways. So if you look again at verse 153, just go over these quick and then I'll elaborate on them. The first is, he says, look on my affliction. The second is, he says, and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. The third is that phrase, plead my cause. The fourth request for saving in verse 154 is, and redeem me. And then his fifth is our key phrase uh, throughout this section, give me life according to your promise. So the first is that he says, look on. Okay, look on my affliction. By saying this, I don't believe he's saying that God was oblivious to his suffering, that God had no clue of what was going on, but I think rather he's calling God to act. By saying, look on. He's not saying God's not aware of it, but he's saying he's calling God to act, to intervene. 
The second in verse 153, as he describes the salvation he's asking for, he says, deliver me. Which is just simply, he's, he's saying, God, rescue me. Rescue me from this. The third we, way we see this is when the psalmist says, plead my cause. This gives us a picture of a courtroom. Okay? Of someone uh, arguing someone else's case for them. They're coming to bat for them. They're, they're coming to defend them. They're making a case for them. The psalmist is asking God to come to bat for him. He's asking God to defend him. And it seems that the psalmist, uh, as we consider just the, the words we've already looked at, looked at for the people that he's dealing with, it seems like he's been falsely accused. That seems to be at least what part of his affliction, that someone says he did something uh, or he is a certain way when he's not. It's a lie about him. Uh, and it's as we think about what the psalmist says here when he says, plead my cause, I think all of us could probably agree it's, it's such a comforting thing to have people on your side. Okay? When you're dealing with something tough, when someone's out to get you, and you have someone on your side, someone who's coming to bat for you, someone who's defending you, that's a difference maker. You're not alone in it. You're not the only one sticking up for yourself, but people are sticking up for you. They're defending you, and that's exactly what the psalmist is asking for here. He's saying, plead my cause. Don't leave me by myself. Don't leave me to just defend myself. So that's the third way, and right after it we get the phrase, redeem me. Okay, this word is used to speak of the salvation that God brought the Israelites when they were enslaved in Egypt. And I'll just, I, I have this on the screen for you. Exodus 6, 6 through 7, we get this word, and, and I think the context helps us understand what's being said. It says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Okay, so God would save Israel from slavery. They were enslaved. Um, they were going through hardship in Egypt. They were bound to the Egyptians. And further, uh, we're told here that he would take them to be his people. He would own them. He claimed them to be his. They're, they would no longer be the Egyptians' slaves. So deliverance and salvation is tied up in this word redeemed. But there's further a, a relationship. So it's not just that he's rescuing him, not that he's just delivering him, but there's a relationship that, that he has with this God. And then the fifth way this salvation is spoken of is our phrase in verse 154. It says, give me life according to your promise. As I said, we'll consider this at, at the very end. So we see the psalmist uh, is being oppressed and he asks God to save him. And he can do this, as I started out with, because he has a relationship with him. Okay, because he has a relationship with him. We've seen this in this word, redeem. We see this in verse 153, if you look with me again there. He says, look on my affliction and deliver me. And then he says this, for I do not forget your law. So he's saying he cares about God's law. We're going to see later he loves God's law. He's speaking of the fact that he has a relationship with God. God's law is on his mind. It's on his heart. He's obeying it. And we, we're going to see this uh, clearly from the rest of the passage. So the psalmist is someone who is a believer. They have a relationship with God. 
So that's the salvation. We see, see it's described five ways, but that's the salvation that can be expected for the one who has a relationship with God. We see here that God is the resource that the psalmist turns to and relies upon. And, and it's good for us to consider, as we think about the psalmist, what he's saying here, it's good for us to consider times that were oppressed, times that, and probably all of us have dealt with it, times that people are attacking you, they're hurting you, they're out to get you. My question is, do you look to God? Do you ask him to deliver you? We often, if you think about it, we take matters into our own hands. We defend ourselves. We start to maybe go after those people. We often run to someone else. We often try many, many different things before we actually turn to God's help. What the psalmist shows here is we have a resource. We have someone we can go to if we have a relationship with God, and that is to go to God himself. So my question is, will it be God who you go to in your suffering? So it's a Simple thing to think about relying on God, but we should think about how often we actually do that when we're in these circumstances. So we've considered the resource of the person who has a relationship with God, and now the psalmist contrasts it with the person who is an unbeliever, doesn't have a relationship, so we find the resource that is unavailable to the unbeliever. So remember, we have a, a contrast here. So look with me at verse 155, and we see the flip side um, of what the psalmist is saying. He says this in Psalm 119, 155, salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. So the psalmist showed in the last two verses that he very much so relied on God's salvation, that it was a resource to him. Uh, he could rely on God and he should rely on God. But here he makes clear that the wicked cannot expect the same. God does not save them as he saves his people. And, and this is an interesting thing that he says salvation is far from the wicked because if, if you think about the psalmist is going through, he's being beat down. These people are attacking him. There's a group of them, so he's, he's probably outnumbered. It probably would have seemed like the wicked were victorious. It would have seemed like they had the upper hand. It seemed like maybe good things were taking place uh, for them. But we find here that he says clearly they cannot expect salvation or deliverance or rescue when they're in trials, when they're going through a difficult time because they do not have a relationship with God. They are the wicked. They do not seek God's statutes. They make it clear that they don't want any part of God and his word. So maybe the question to ask this evening is, are you the wicked? Which might sound like a, a ridiculous question, but I'd ask, do you have a relationship with God. That's what the psalmist is talking about here. Having a relationship with God, believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or not. Do you believe in him and seek to live your life for him? And what we find here is for those who do not, they cannot expect God's help in their struggles. They cannot rely on God for deliverance. So I'd ask you to consider, do you have a relationship with God? Have you believed in him? And if not, then don't think that you can pray to God and ask him for his help, for his deliverance from difficult times because you don't have a relationship with him. We'll move to the next passage or the next section, our second point of four, and that is the psalmist's outlook. And this comes from verses 156 and 157 if you look with me there. 
156 says, Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. So here between these two verses, we find a balance in the psalmist's life. On the one hand, as we see in verse 157, he realizes he's up against a lot of people. Okay, we already looked at this, but he's up against a lot of people who are out to get him. It's not just one, but it's many, and he knows this. He knows um, what he's up against. But on the other hand, he realizes there is a lot of God's mercy. And I say this, I, I say a lot of God's mercy, just like there's a lot of people, because we have the same Hebrew word here uh, used in our, our two verses. In 156, the word great is the same word uh, in the Hebrew as 157. I don't know if I have, okay, I have that correct on there. It's great is the same word as the word many, as in 157. It's the same word, uh, but we see here a balance in the psalmist's life. Uh, as you think about your own life, it can be easy to focus on and be consumed by the difficulties in your life. We're very aware of the troubles that we're dealing with. The enemies uh, that continue to pile up, that's often what our mind uh, is on. That's our focus. So when the psalmist says in 157, many are my persecutors and my adversaries, that's something that we often feel. We might not say that word for word, but that's, that's where our mind's at. That's what we're uh, thinking about. But here the psalmist gives us a proper perspective as he doesn't lose sight of what is also great, what is also many, and that is the Lord's mercy. God's love and compassion, that God is compassionate to him in his troubles, that the Lord's mercies meet him in his difficulties. So he's not just consumed by thinking about the, the many enemies, but he's also consumed with how great uh, and plentiful the Lord's mercy is as he deals with these people. So we should consider from the psalmist's example, is this our perspective? Is this our perspective? In the midst of many troubles and difficulties, when a lot of people are not treating you well, do you lose sight of the Lord's mercy? Do you forget that you have a compassionate God on your side to look to? Do you have trouble remembering that God is loving towards you in your hardship? So we see a, a balance. So not only is he thinking about this thing, but he's also or aware of this thing, but he's, he's thinking he's also aware of the Lord's mercy. So we've seen, first, the psalmist's resource. He can look to, to God. But now, second, we find his outlook, okay? The, his perspective on life or on his trials, and we see that he doesn't lose sight of the abundance of the Lord's mercy compared to the abundance of his persecutors. The third section is the psalmist's commitment, and this comes in verses 158 and 159, which I'll read for us. 158 says, I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. 159 says, consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. So I entitle this, this point, this section, his commitment, but we've actually seen this already uh, in uh, several verses that we've already uh, looked at but didn't look at in depth. In Psalm 119, 153, he said, Look on my affliction and deliver me. And he says, For I do not forget your law. 
saying the word of God is on his mind. He's remembering it even in these trials. And then in 157, if you look with me there, we see this commitment. 157 says, many are my persecutors and my adversaries. And then he says this, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. So we see this commitment. His faithfulness to God and his word, even though he deals with difficult things, he doesn't turn. He doesn't stray from God's word. He's faithful. He's committed. We see this is brought even more clearly to us in 158 and 159 by the, the comparison or, I guess, even contrast uh, made between two words. In uh, 158 and 159... The word look and consider is the same word in the Hebrew. So our translation has as different uh, words in the ESV, but the word look and the word consider are the same word. So the psalmist says, I look in verse 158, and then in 159, it's like he's saying, look how I, and then he goes on. So he's saying consider, it's like he's saying, look, see this. So in 158, the psalmist is showing he rejects the ways of the wicked. And he uses this word disgust. So if you look with me again at 158, he says, I look at the faithless with disgust. When he uses this word disgust, this is a word that speaks of grieving or hating. I don't believe the psalmist is using this in a judgmental sense. Okay? Sometimes we sinfully look down our noses at people in a judgmental way. We're disgusted by them. Okay, it's, it's a judgmental thing. Um, we're being self-righteous, and, and that's, that's wrong. That's not what the psalmist is doing here. And neither is he out of retaliation for the, the hurt done to him, is, is he hating these people. But rather, the key to see uh, is the second half of verse 158 when he says, because they do not keep your commands. He says, I look at the faithless with disgust. Why? Because they do not keep your commands. The psalmist has said something similar, and you don't have to turn there, but we've seen this in Psalm 119. In verse, one, in verse 53, he says, Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. In verse 136 of Psalm 119, he said, My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. And then in verse 139, he said, My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. What I think the psalmist is saying when he says he looks on them with disgust, I think he is showing his allegiance to God and his word, not the wicked, not those who, do, who don't follow God. In verse 159, we see this further. So he says, uh, I look at the faithless with disgust, and now he, he asks God to look at something, to consider something. He says, consider how I love your precepts. And I don't think the psalmist is bragging here. Um, he's not just trying to bring attention to uh, his love for God and what he does, like we might be tempted to do sometimes, but rather the psalmist is, is speaking of his committedness to God, again, that allegiance to God and his word over these people. So I think he's doing a very similar thing to what he did in verse 158. So in our three points that we've looked at so far, we have gotten an idea of what the psalmist is going through. And, and I wanted to go through these verses, go through these points before we hit our key phrase and, and really the theme of this section uh, to understand what the psalmist is dealing with, what he's, he's going through, and e even further, how he's conducted himself through it. So now we'll turn to our fourth and our last point, and that is his repeated 
requests, which uh, is repeated in 154, 156, and 159, and then I think 160 kind of ties everything thing up, and, and I'll show the connection when we come to it. Okay, so we started with, with this idea, with our theme about the psalmist asking to be revived, his desire, his request, and I want to read these verses once again. If you look with me at Psalm 119, 154, it says, Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. 156 says, Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. And then the third time is, Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. So in this, these three times that he repeats this, the psalmist is asking that God would refresh him, that God would re rejuvenate him, that God would revive him, that he would give him life. And after working our way through this section of Psalm 119, I think we can get why he would ask this. As you think about our sections, as you think about the people he's dealing with, the fact that he's being afflicted and oppressed, we can get why he asks this, and even further, why he asks it several times. Things have gotten pretty bad for him. Okay, he started out by asking for deliverance. He's dealing with people who want to harm him. They're not for God, they don't care about God and his ways, but rather they're against him, and yet we see the, the psalmist's committedness to God. God hasn't left his mind, and his word hasn't left his mind but as you consider what the psalmist is dealing with, and if, if you just kind of glance over this passage, if you put yourself in his shoes, I think we can see that the psalmist is surely down. He's struggling. He's weak. He's possibly depressed. And he's calling for God's hand to revive him. Two, thing I, two things I want us to especially notice from these repeated phrases. The first is that the psalmist shows his complete reliance on God with this request. We considered this in our, our first point, but we see here he's asking God this. Okay, the fact that this is directed towards God, he's saying, give me life. He's not asking this of another person. He's not even, he's not even looking within himself and saying, I've done this. I'll revive myself. I'll refresh myself. He's not looking to other sources, but it's God that he runs to when he's weak, when he's down, he's distraught. He looks to God to pick him up and give him life. And I already asked this, but we should consider, is this what we do when we're dealing with a struggle? Is it God that we turn to? And as I evaluate my own life, unfortunately, if I'm honest with myself, this is not always or, or even often how I respond. So this is a challenge to myself. But the second thing I want us to notice is, is the second half of the phrase. If you look again with me, this is the part that we don't have word for word the same, but it's a pretty similar idea being communicated. In verse 154, the psalmist says, Plead my cause and redeem me, give me life. And then here's the part we haven't focused on. He says, According to your promise. Again, 156 says, great is your mercy, O Lord, give me life according to your rules. And then 159, consider how I love your precepts, give me life according to your steadfast love. So the psalmist doesn't just give this request and rely on God, that's good, but it's even better as the psalmist, his basis for this request 
is the word of God. So this is where the word of God comes into this request. Is that he's not just saying that he's relying on God, he's looking to God, but his basis for asking this is the word of God. He says, Psalm, he says this in Psalm 119, 154, give me life according to, or, or this phrase according to, um, another way of saying it is, in, or in conformity to your promise. So according to or in conformity, along with your promise. That promise is God's word, God's promise to his people. Psalm 119, 156 says, give me life according to, or another way of saying according to is stated by your rules, as is stated by your rules. Again, his rules are his word. And then the third time, Psalm 119, 159 says, give me life according to or relying on your steadfast love. The third one's the one that's kind of out of place. That's not talking directly about his word. That's talking about a character trait or an attribute of God, his love, his steadfast love, his committed love to his people. But I think how we get to his word is we could ask, how do we find out about God's love? His word. His word reveals it. So the psalmist requests, give me life, revive me, refresh me, stimulate me, is found in God's word. Something he promises. It's something the psalmist learns from God's word. This is something that he could expect of God and pray to God as God has said it in his word. So a more general question as we consider this phrase, according to, my question is, do you ask things that you find in God's word? Do you ask him to, to act as he's promised? To act as he uh, has shown himself to be in his word? And second, do you have confidence that God will do what his word says he will do? You rely upon it, depend on God's word as the psalmist does here. He doesn't just, as I said, say, give me life. That, that would be good. He's relying on God, but he's also relying on his word as he states the basis for this request. He has confidence in it, and that is his, uh, in God's word. And that's where we come to the last verse. So this is how we tie in the last verse. Psalm 119, 160, if you look with me there. The psalmist says, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Okay, this two, these two words, the sum, speaks of the sum total of something, or every part of something. A similar idea is in, in the next, or the second line, it says, and every one, every one is, is communicating the, the idea of a whole, the entirety. Again, every single part. So the psalmist is saying all of your word, every word, sentence, section, and book in the Bible is two things, he says. The first is that it is fact. He says the sum of your word is truth. The psalmist is saying that what God says in his word is all of it is fact, it's accurate, this is the opposite of false. He's saying it's true. It's reality. It is um, accurate. And then the second thing he says, so he's saying all of your word, every single part is fact. He also says every single part lasts. If you look with me at the second half of 160, he says in every one of your righteous rules, we get this phrase, endures 
forever. It lasts. It continues. It isn't going away. So what the psalmist is trying to show here, and, and he's already showed it in his life that he thinks this way, is that God's word can be counted on. So tying everything together, the fact he says, revive me, refresh me because I'm going through this difficult time, you see, God's word can be counted on when we're struggling, when we're weak, when we're depressed and stressed and in despair and in misery. It could be because people hurt us, as the psalmist is dealing with. It could be an injury or a sickness. It could be a cancer diagnosis. It could be the loss of a job. It could be family turmoil. It could even be sin in our life that has just wrecked us. We can't function. We can't help. We cannot help a breakdown in tears because of our sin. The point of this section is that we can have confidence that what God promises in his word, that the character that it communicates about God and the things it says it will do, that he will do them. He will act like it says. And we should be praying, asking that God would help us. He would pick us up. He would restore us. He would revive us. He would resuscitate us. He would jumpstart us. So my question as we close is, do you need this prayer? Do you need this prayer? Are you emotionally wrecked? Are you worn down by people's insults and their lies of you? Are you suffering and struggling? Pray, God, give me life as you promise in your word. God, revive me emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically. I need you. Revive me according to your word. Let's close with a word of prayer. God, I just thank you for the opportunity we have to, to sit under um, Psalm 119, your word this, more, this evening. God, I just thank you for how uh, the psalmist has recorded his experiences, even how he's dealt with your word in them. Uh, and Lord, tonight as we consider um, his request, his desire to be revived, to be refreshed, to be rejuvenated, uh, just in a time that he was low, time that he was distraught, and he was dealing with difficult things. And, and Lord, uh, the reality is we deal with these too, even as Christians. And Lord, uh, you know the situations, you know the experiences of those that are here tonight. And God, I just pray that you would apply this message to their lives, that you would, as they walk away, that they would just understand this text, that they would know how to, to respond. And, and Lord, I even pray that they would pray this prayer, that they would ask that you would revive them according to your word. Lord, I just pray that you would, would help us to apply this message, even not only now, but, but bring it to our minds when we're dealing with a difficult situation, when we're suffering in some way, when people are attacking us. Bring Psalm 119 to our minds, and I pray that we would study it and, our, and immerse ourselves uh, in it. Uh, to be comforted, but also to, to be stimulated to obey your word. Lord, we just thank you for this text and for the things that it teaches us. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help us as we go into our weeks, help us to live lives that are honoring and glorifying to you. And in your name I pray, amen.